0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church out of Ontario, Canada, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Today, Pastor Nathan is bringing you part one of his message series, The Names of God. And the question is, what is in a name? Throughout the pages of the Bible, God has chosen to reveal himself through a series of names that disclose his external character and purpose. In this first message, we learn about the personal name that God gave to his people, which becomes the foundation for the names we will examine in the future weeks to come. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nathan with part one of his message series entitled, Magnify His Name.
1: Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, As you just saw in the video, uh, we're kicking off a brand new message series over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at the names of God. It is, it is Halloween today, and I thought about doing a Halloween message, you know. Don't let your past haunt you or something like that, you know. But, uh, but instead, we're going to start this, this four week message series in which we're going to be sort of digging in and learning about some of the names of God. And I think what you're going to discover is there's a lot, a lot to look at. We will, we'll barely scratch the surface. Of some of the names that you just saw listed off uh, on the screen uh, above me, and so we're kicking off this uh, this series called "The Names of God," and I wanted to just sort of begin by uh, by looking at a definition for the word name, because I think I think definitions are important, so we all know what we're talking about. A name is, according to Oxford Learner's Dictionary, word or words that a per- a word or words that a particular person, animal, place, or thing is known by. All right, this is important. So a name is a word that identifies a subject, an object, a person, a place. If, you, if someone asked you where you live and you said, I live in Peterborough or the Peterborough surrounding area, um, they would be able to open up a map and find where you live. Now, you need to know that there is a Peterborough over in England and there's a Peterborough in the United States. So, so you might have to give them more specific names and details. You might have to say something like Peterborough, Ontario. And those two words together would actually give a precise location for where we are in the world. So this is, names are really important because they direct our attention and focus to a particular person, place, or thing. Uh, my name's Nathan. Hello. And uh, that's how I'm known by, but there are a lot of other Nathans around, as you know. And so then you have to sort of dig a little deeper and say, well, it's Nathan Blay. And I'm sure there's some other Nathan Blays in the world. And so the Nathan Blay, who lives in Peterborough and Terrace. So you can, you can add words that bring precision to the identity of a person, place, or thing. And that's what names do. It's how powerful they are. And uh, over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the names of God. And as we study the names of God, what we're going to discover is that these names identify who he is. His qualities, his character traits, his connection to the, the biblical story. And these names are going to identify and point us to some things that really, really matter. So names are important. But here's the next thing you need to know is that names are given. Okay, uh, My name was given to me by my parents. I'm assuming that those of you here, um, unless you changed your name yourself as an adult, um, probably your name was given to you by a parent or a loved one. Uh, that's the way it works. Um, people who precede you name you. Okay, If you start a business, you get to name the business. If you go to work for somebody else's business, you don't get to change the name, even if you don't like it. And so I remember about 12 years ago, we were praying and thinking about launching a new church community in the city of Peterborough. And we had a list of names that we liked, and one of the names that stood out above the rest was Pathway. And uh, we particularly liked this, and we talked about it a lot as our leadership team as we were preparing to launch. Uh, We liked the idea of this this Pathway, this narrowing path as the image, uh, because we really believe that faith in God and Jesus is a journey. It's something you—it's day by day, and you step closer and closer to Him as you learn and grow— so we like that image. And then also Jesus's words, right? About how we talked about there's a narrow way that leads to life and this broad way that leads to death. And so we want to we be on that path together. That, that was how... So we gave the church the name Pathway as a way to distinguish it from all the other great churches in our city, in Ferndale, and Living Hope, and Calvary, and on and on you could go. So there's all these churches, but they have names that identify this distinct community and mission that's there. So... Pathways the name, not pathways. There's no S on the end. I'll just throw that out there. Once again, it's really important. Not halfway. People say, oh, halfway church. I'm like, no, we don't do anything halfway. We're all in at pathway. Um, so I like to clarify that. So that's the name that we have. But names are given, which is really interesting because God actually gives himself his name because who comes before God? Nobody. Who's above him? Nobody. Who existed before him? Nobody. So God names himself. So that's really cool. We're going to see that. Also that names have meaning and significance. Now a lot of people today when they have children, they they choose names that are popular. They choose names that sound nice. They choose names that none of their cousins or friends around them have. Like they're trying to find the right name. But in biblical times, they chose names because of their significance more often than not. And so you can learn a lot about characters in the Bible and as we're going to see about God by the names that are given. And the names meant something. Right? So Jacob, right? Jacob is one of the patriarchs. His name actually means supplanter, trickster. Right? Because when he was born he was hanging under his brother's ankle. And they're like, Oh, Jacob And we use that name because Jacob became this incredible, incredible man and this incredible patriarch. But God eventually changes his name to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. That's a man. Like instead of this supplanter trickster, it's like the guy who wrestled with God and lived to tell about it. That's a cool name. Nobody names their kid Israel. I don't know why. Right. So we pick names. And, you know, in our house, all our kids have N names because N is a great letter. We tried to fit some J's in there because my wife's name's Jessica and she is it. So we tried to find some good names, but we couldn't find any good names that started with J. You know. I suggested Jezebel and Judas, and those were those weren't gonna work. Um anyway, just a little fun. Names have meaning though. Um uh, I, I found out years ago that my name, Nathan, means gift of God. Isn't that nice? I don't know if my parents knew that, you know. They probably wanted to change my name a few times while I was growing up. Um that's what my name means, and, uh, and what we're going to see today is that God has these various names, and they have significant meaning, and uh, as we learn about the meaning of his names, we're going to learn all kinds of, of great things. Uh, God has many names. He has many names and many titles. God has many names and titles. Uh, God is called a rock. He's called a fortress. He's called all kinds of things, uh, but he also has all these different names. You saw a bunch of them listed in that video. He has many, many names and titles, just like any one of us might. So uh, some people call me Nathan. That's my given name. That's my proper name. Uh, people who are close to me, so more casual, call me Nate sometimes, you know, um, people call me, there's a select few people that call me dad, father. Uh, there's a few people that call me bro, Right. Uh, there's a handful of people over the years that have called me boss. I like that one. It's nice, boss. Uh, people call me pastor, uh, reverend. I get that every once in a while. And, and Dan Cook likes to call me Father Nathan. He knows it bugs me. I don't like that. He's like, hello, Father Nathan. I'm like, no, that's not my name. And there's this this one beautiful girl that uh, sometimes calls me Nate Jacques. Uh, that's, that comes out every once in a while. So I get all these names and titles that come in my direction. And, and so you would be the same. And each of those says something about the relationship, and there's nuances to each of these names and titles. And so we're going to dive into those. So what I want to do today, um, how to kick things off. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer, the beginning of it. And Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he he says this. He says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, it's going to pop up here any second. There it is. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven. Now, whenever I teach on the Lord's prayer, I often focus on this word father, right? It's like, Hey, God, isn't this distant monarch. He's our heavenly father. And so we can approach him as such with confidence and boldness. So we focus a lot on that. But then Jesus says something else that we often sort of neglect. He says, go back one slide, please. He says, hallowed or holy or set apart is your name. Okay. Okay. So in the Lord's Prayer, he says we're to, we're to set apart and focus on the significance of his name. So what is his name? That's what we're going to talk about. There's some other passages I think are, are helpful for us. We'll go to the next one. It says uh, in Psalm 8.1, the psalmist says, "O Lord, notice it's all caps. I did that on purpose. Our Lord, and it's not all caps, and we're going to see why in, in a few moments. Okay? How majestic is your name? How high is your name in all the earth? Your name is above every." other name. Proverbs 18, 10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So God's name is something that provides safety and shelter for us. There's something of significance and strength in his name that we can run to. So you see how much God's name meant to the people of Israel and should mean to us. Um, this next one is really going to kind of be our theme passage for the next four weeks. And the psalmist writes, "O oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt means to lift up his name forever. He's talking about making God's name and his character big in our lives, of magnifying it, right? So I bought a magnifying glass. And you've seen that when you have a magnifying glass, some of you have weak eyes, you know, you can use that. And what does a magnifying glass do? It magnifies, it makes something bigger. And, And this is what we're told to do in Scripture, to magnify the Lord, to make his name bigger, greater. And so when we look at his word, we magnify it. Okay, I don't know if that's working, but my eyes should be getting bigger as I look at you guys. Is that working? All right, okay, so we're magnifying. And this is what we're to do we're to magnify the name of the Lord, we're to make him big, we're to make his character and traits big. And here's the thing I'm willing to bet that most of us, if you're like me, we tend to magnify the wrong things. Why is it that ten people can say something nice to me, encouraging to me, and one person say something critical? And what what do you think I'm focused on with my big magnifying glass? Like, oh, how could they say that? I can't believe that. They don't even know me. And I'm so caught up in the negative thing that I've missed all the rest. And we do this in our life. We have all these wonderful gifts and blessings from God. And one thing goes wrong and we're like, oh, and our magnifying glass comes out and we're magnifying the thing that we ought not to magnify. So the psalmist here says, here's what we're to do. As followers of God, as the people of God, we're to magnify his name. We're to look at his name, which tells us who he is, which tells us which God we're worshiping, and tells us the qualities and characteristics, and we make them bigger in our lives, and everything else becomes smaller. So over the next three, four weeks, as we go through this series, we're going to make his name big. Uh, So what I need to do in the next few moments, maybe about eight minutes or so, is I'm going to download a whole bunch of information. And if you have a pad and paper, you can take some notes. Um, Or you can always go back and watch this later if you want to uh, dig into this information some more. So I'm going to share with you the three primary names that are used or the ways, the titles that are used to refer to God. Uh, Three primary names or titles are these three. And these are Hebrew words. We'll explain more in a little bit. Let me just show you, first of all, this word Elohim. You can all say Elohim. Elohim. Sounds great. 2,500 or more times used in the Old Testament to refer to the God of heaven that we worship, okay? Then we have the word Adonai. Go ahead and say it. Adonai is used about 450 times in the Old Testament to refer to God. And then the last, we have God's personal name, which I'm not going to get you to pronounce just yet, okay? And it's used, it's close to 7,000 times, but over 6,500 times the name, the personal name of God is used. And that's what we're going to focus on today. But before we do that, I want to show you some some Bible notation. Because this is, if you ever read your Bible, um, you're going to see that, when they translated the Bible, and if you're really new to church, you may not know this, but the Bible wasn't written in English. Okay, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. And all of it at some point was translated either into Latin or Greek and then to English. So there's, there's a lot of language translation going on. And when you're reading your Bible, you're reading these ancient Hebrew texts and they've been translated into English. And so when you see in your Bible, most modern translations, the word God with a capital G, That behind it is either the word El or Elohim. That's that's the Hebrew word that's behind the English word God. We'll talk about what that name means and some of the significance in a minute. If you see capital L with small O-R-D, Lord, then the word behind it is the Hebrew word Adonai. And we'll talk briefly about what that means. And then when you see Lord in all caps, which is the most common way that God is referred to in the Old Testament... It is the personal name of God that we're going to see today was given to Moses and the people of Israel. So I just, here's an example. I took a couple of pictures of my Bible so you could see this because I knew if I held it up, you wouldn't see it. And in Psalm seven, he says, "O Lord, all caps. That is the sacred name, the personal name of God. My God, G O D. That's the word Elohim God. And then in, in chapter eight, I looked over the next page and here it is. "O Lord, all caps, Lord L. Small O R D, and this is the personal name of God, and this over here is Adonai. And so, when you understand how they notated these things, and you're reading your Bible, you know exactly which word they pulled from the Hebrew and translated into English. So that's really helpful. And when you're reading, you go, "Oh, that's actually Adonai, which means this." Well, that's God's personal name, and sometimes they're paired together in lots of really cool ways. So I just I know that's a lot of information, but I wanted um, to share that with you. So the next thing we're going to look at is the word. Elohim, okay? And uh, what you need to know is the Hebrew word El, E-L, means God. And it's much like the English word for God, right? Because when you say God, it's actually a title, not a name. And God is generic, so it could mean any God. It could be Buddha, it could be, you know, any any God from any religion. So you say, which God are you talking about? It's just God, El. Any Superman fans in here? Anybody know Superman's father's name? I mean, his... Kryptonian father. All right, no Superman. Okay, his his, Superman's father's name is Jor-L. E-L. Right, which is a Hebrew for God. And this Jor-L puts his one and only son in this spaceship and sends him to Earth. And his name is Kal-L. So you have this deity, God, who sends his only son to Earth to save mankind. Right. So that's a He stole that story. He stole that story from the Bible. Okay, I just wanted to point that out, okay? So L, some of you just got that. L, the generic title, the generic title for God is is L. And so we see the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis one one, we'll throw that up. It says, In the beginning, and this is Moses now penning these words, we believe. In the beginning, what do you think that word is? Thank you, Elohim. Yeah, and so you would assume this would be El, God. But the author of Genesis actually writes Elohim, which is significant in a couple of reasons. So in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So this God that we're talking about in the Bible is the one who created all things. He's the source. He's the self-existent one. So we have this God. But he uses the word Elohim. If you go to the next slide, Elohim is actually the plural form of El. El is God. Elohim is gods. And so when Moses says, hey, you know, the gods of Egypt are not, he uses the word Elohim. Gods, plural. Which is really interesting. So why would he say that in the beginning, gods created the heavens and the earth? you just scratch your head? Because the scriptures are very clear that there's one God. There's one God. And then uh, if you go back down to Genesis chapter 1, it goes through all the creation account. And then in verse uh, 26, if you can throw that up for me. Then God said, let us, plural. This is Elohim, by the way. Let us make man in our, plural, image, singular. So it's like our, we, we're going to make a man in our image. And then make an, a single person in the image of God who is somehow plural. And so this is one of those passages where the early church scholars and fathers, uh, began to, to write about the, what we call now called the Trinity and the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the idea of the Trinity is found all through it. That God is one God who exists in three persons, father, son, and Holy spirit. And so we'll see, we'll see some images of this. So it's really interesting. Even the words that were chosen sort of paint a picture In the the opening of the scriptures. Now, what's really cool, and I don't want to jump ahead of things, but at the end we're going to talk about Jesus. And what's really cool is Paul, when he writes to the Colossian church in chapter 1, says this in his letter. He says, for by him, Jesus, he's speaking specifically about Jesus, all things were created. He's saying that Jesus is Elohim. He created it. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all of it was created by Jesus. That's crazy. And then he says all things were created not only through Jesus, not only was he there creating things with God in the beginning, but they were created for him. It's like, wow. What, what is Paul doing? He's magnifying Jesus like jesus is elohim he is the one who created all things this is super super crazy but i'm jumping ahead of myself a bunch next i need to just touch on this word adonai so let's look at this adonai used about 450 times it's literally a generic hebrew term that means lord or master okay there's there's one time where david is being pursued by his father-in-law saul and he comes out of the cave and he's like he says adonai master lord why are you why are you pursuing me like this So he uses that term Adonai. So Adonai is a term for master or lord. So that's certainly fitting for God. But it's not technically his name. Okay? It's a generic term uh, for lord. So let's look at the actual name of God that was given um, to to Moses. And here it is. I'm going to explain to you what that means. This is the personal name that God gives to Moses. In fact, there's a really interesting text in uh, Exodus chapter 6 where God speaks with Moses and he says to him, I am, and he gives his personal name, which is translated, all caps, Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. He's tying his identity to the story of the patriarchs. This, I'm the same God that spoke to Abraham, still me, okay? And he said, I came to them and to Jacob as God Almighty. So this in the Hebrew, go back a verse. Uh, this in Hebrew is El Shaddai. Some of you have heard that term in church. El Shaddai. You've heard the song with Amy Grant or whatever it is. Okay. El Shaddai means God, the singular, almighty. And he says, "I, I, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God almighty. But now I'm revealing something else about myself. I'm revealing my personal name. And that's just what he says in the next verse. He says, but by my name, and he gives his personal name once more, I did not make myself known to them. So this is something new, Moses. And then Moses, when he writes Genesis, he backfills that name all through. But this is when the name is given in Exodus chapter 3. So let me share with you God's name. You guys want to see his personal name? All right, here it is. I'll show it to you in Hebrew, and I'll explain why this is so important. All right, this this is God's name. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Who wants to say that? Ah, yeah. Tetragrammaton. Literally, what this big word means is four letters. That's what it means. Four letters. Because God's name is four letters in Hebrew. It's written from right to left. Letter one, two, three, four. And what's interesting about this is that each of these four letters that are given in Hebrew are consonants. They're consonants. There's no vowels in ancient Hebrew. So the vowel sounds are sort of implicit. So if, if you were a Hebrew growing up, you know, 3,000 years ago, you would see this and you would know how these consonants together as a word are pronounced. Just like in English, there's some words that don't make sense, but you see them and you know how they pronounce. You're taught that. So they knew how to pronounce this name at some point. But what happens historically, and I'll, I'll try to, this is a long story, but I'll try to keep it to about a minute or two. Okay. This name, the name of God around the third century BCE. So before Jesus even shows up on the scene, The the Hebrew language is starting to disappear as Greek becomes the common language because of Alexander the Great, etc., etc. And so what happens here is the Hebrew language is starting to die off. And what they do is the the Jews and the rabbis in the synagogues, they no longer say the name. They go, God's name is too holy. We're not going to say it anymore. So instead, whenever we're reading the scripture in synagogue and we see God's sacred name, we're just going to say Adonai. means Lord or Master. So they just substituted that in. Uh, Even today, devout Jews will not Read or say this name. They, If you were in a Jewish synagogue and they were reading scriptures, they might say Hashem, which just means the name. And whenever they see God's sacred name, they just say Hashem or they say Adonai, they substitute. So the problem here is that they stopped using the word formally, verbally, way back here. And then we fast forward to the 5th to 10th century in the, in the new millennia. And you have um, the Masoretes who are trying to revive the ancient Hebrew language, and they start adding all kinds of notation for vowel sounds so that we can figure this stuff out. And they add vowel sounds back in. So this is... Here's what happens. In the 15th century, William Tyndale translates one of the first uh, Bibles in English. And so he's looking at the old Masoretic text, and he's looking at the Septuagint, which is in Greek, and all these languages. And he's trying to translate it all into Elizabethan English. And um, if you can go to the next slide, I'll just kind of show you why these letters, when translated from ancient Hebrew directly into English, produce these letters, Y H W H. But if you translate into Latin, (laughs) it becomes J H V H. And then so what happened was that Tyndale and many others at that time took these letters, added in the vowel sounds from the Masoretes in the fifth to you know century. And they came up with the word Jehovah. So they're trying to reproduce the original name of God. And so that's, many of you have heard the name Jehovah. In the last century or so, uh, biblical scholars have been going back further than the Masoretic text and looking at even more ancient stuff. And they believe that the proper and the closest we can come to is Yahweh. Okay? So these two names are interchangeable. Jehovah, Yahweh. I'll use them interchangeably throughout this series. And depending on how you, you know, translate that and bring it all down. But I just want you to understand that this is the personal name of God. We're probably not pronouncing it correctly. But uh, what it means is probably more important than how we pronounce it. So uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 3. And this is where this name is first introduced in the timeline of the Bible. Then Moses said to God, If you come, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The Elohim, the God of your father has sent me to you. Now, hold on for a sec. Moses is having an interaction with God at the burning bush. And some of you have read this or heard this story. God says, I'm going to send you. God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm a God who hears. I've seen their affliction. I'm a God who sees. I remember my covenant to Abraham. I'm a God who keeps my word. And I'm sending you. (laughs) And so Moses starts his, you know, like we do, he starts arguing with God about all the reasons why that shouldn't work. And ends up here, and he says, if I show up and say, the Elohim of your father sent me, they're going to be like, what Elohim? They live in Egypt. There's Osiris and all these other gods, and then all the gods in the nations around. So they're familiar with all these gods, but they have no name for their own god. And so he's going to show up and be like, the god of your fathers, and they're going to say, what god? And, And Moses foresees this. And so in the next verse, he says, if they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? God hadn't been given a proper name. All the other gods had names, but God was just the God of Abraham. He was God Almighty. He was just these generic titles. What is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's how he describes himself to Moses. In the Hebrew, he says, eh, That means I am who I am. That's, that's, this is who you should say is, is, is sending you. And, and then he continues, and he says this. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am, Ehweh has sent me to you. That means, I am, and that's my name, and I have sent to you. And then in the next verse, he actually gives him the name. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. He changes a couple little consonants, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God changes from the I am into Yahweh literally means he is. So he just changes it. Because it wouldn't make sense if you said my God is I am. You say my God is he is. So there's a little little adjustment there. And so God says this is who I am, Ehweh, and this is my name, Yahweh. So that's what he does, okay? So the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he goes on to say this. This is where we'll, we'll stop here. This is my name forever. Yahweh, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. So from this point forward, they refer to God in his proper name as Yahweh, or you could say Jehovah. And then as we progress through the story of the Old Testament, you're going to see God revealing all these new attributes. And so we have Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Shalom and Jehovah, and these are all different attributes that are attached to his personal identity. So we're going to dig into about three of them uh, in our series um, in the coming weeks. But he says, I am, I am. He is. I exist. That's his name. God wanted to be known as such. He is the uncaused cause. He's the creator of all things. He is the Elohim, the God above every other God who created all things. That's who he is. And when he says, I am that I am, he's really saying, I don't change. I I am what I am. I don't change. I am what I will be. You could could say it like that. Uh, He's literally saying, this is who I am. And it's powerful, too, because then we discover that he is... Our provider. He is our healer. He is our peace. He is our righteousness. So we're going to add in uh, these names as we build upon it. Uh, What's interesting, I want to turn our attention to Jesus for just a moment as we kind of steer this thing around. Um, In each of the messages, I really want to show these names of God and what they mean, but then also how Jesus fulfills them and reveals them in in such a particular way. And uh, in in the New Testament, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are called synoptic Gospels. Uh, which means they're all following the same pattern, same stories, roughly speaking. And then John's gospel is other. It's just, it, from the beginning of John, you just see that he is trying to make a point. He's trying to reveal, in part, who Jesus is. And you know this because as um, he begins in John chapter 1, 1, right? Uh, he, he talks about how in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God, so he's saying that Jesus was there at creation, And the word was God. And that's how he opens his letter. And then as you read through his letter, he makes all these... He starts pointing to Jesus as God in all these little subtle places. And I wanted to show a couple of them to you this morning. Now that you know God's sacred name, I am. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with... um, He's having a conversation. You can just take that down for a second. Um, He's having a conversation with uh, some religious leaders. And they're arguing about Abraham... And Jesus is basically saying, hey, you know, Abraham, our forefather, father of faith, the guy God made a promise with, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, Abraham longed to see my day. He's making himself more important than Abraham's. Like, Abraham was all about me. Like, that's, that's bold. And the religious leaders turn and say, hey, you're not even 50 yet. How could you have known Abraham who lived over a thousand years ago? Impossible. And Jesus says this. Check it out. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. Years ago, I spent four hours debating with a couple elders from a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) I answered the door, I started talking, next thing you know, I'm meeting at their house with Bibles open, and uh, it was fun. And if you don't know this, Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe the name of God is Jehovah, like specifically, not Yahweh. It's a big deal for them. And they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's created. He's an angel and he was created. God used him to create and save and all this stuff, but he's not God. And we looked at this text and I said, look, Jesus is claiming to be Jehovah, Yahweh. And they said, oh no, that's that's just the way they translated it or whatever. And I said, well, so how do you explain what comes next? Look at the next verse. It says, the Jews, they're in the temple, mind you. They picked up stones to kill him. And he hid himself went out of the temple. They picked up stones because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. I am Yahweh. I was there. I created everything. I was the one that made a covenant with Abraham. So it's like, mind blown. They wanted to kill him for blasphemy. Again, in the garden, later in John's same uh, letter, he or gospel, he says this in, in John 18... Whom do you seek? He's in the garden. He's prayed. He's about to be arrested. And the temple guard and Judas leading them comes into the garden. And they're going to arrest Jesus and take him. And Jesus asked this question, whom do you seek? As if he didn't know. Obviously, they're coming for you. Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Sounds like a really normal piece of conversation, right? Judas who betrayed him was standing there. Notice what happens. John makes very careful note about what happens in the next verse. He says, when Jesus said the words, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. You're talking about armed guards with spears and swords coming to arrest Jesus in the night. And when he says, I am he, they all fall over. <laughs> of course, Peter has no clue what's going on. Pulls out a sword, cuts off somebody's ear. Which, you know, he wasn't aiming for the ear, right? Like this could have ended really badly. <laughs> Jesus puts the ear back on tells Peter to sheathe his sword. What Peter didn't realize is Elohim, the one who created the heavens, the one who created the materials they used to make the swords, (laughs) was standing in the garden. What he didn't realize was the great I am, the the God of Israel, was standing there. And he was only being arrested because it was the Father's plan and his plan. And, and, And Peter and the disciples had no clue. John writes about this afterwards like, oh, you remember when they said I am and they all fell over? That's important. Because it tells us who... Jesus is so over the next uh, few weeks we're going to look at I got a list of names here we'll throw them up we're going to look at some of these names we'll touch on them uh, but specifically we're going to focus in on three Jehovah Jireh or you could say Yahweh Jireh Jehovah Rohi and Jehovah Sid and each week we'll focus and really hone in on what that means but the really important thing about all this and what I hope for us through this message series is really that um that we wouldn't just learn head knowledge because you just learn some Hebrew words and you learn some, some different things about the Bible and Jesus. But there's something about knowing information and then experiencing an individual and a person. Like when I was a kid, I used to follow Michael Jordan like religiously and I, and I knew his stats and I watched all his championships and like Michael Jordan was the best, I had a poster. And I thought I knew everything, but, but I didn't know Michael Jordan. I never spent time in his house with his family. I didn't, really, I didn't compete against him. And my hope for us is not that we would just know all these names and what they mean, but that we would experience the God of peace, that we would experience the God who is with us, that like the Israelites, we would know that God sees us in our pain and that he's there present in it, that, we, that he is our righteousness, that he has made the sacrifices necessary for us to be right with God. So you, it's a very different, right? It's different to say, go, oh, God is peace. That's who he is. That's part of his attribute. It's another thing to actually have peace in the middle of a storm and be like, Yeah. And I hope that as we move through these names that you don't just learn about the names of God, but that you experience them personally. Because one of the things that is so cool about this is God gives a personal name and invites people into a personal relationship with him so we can experience and know him. So um, that's what we're going to do. So let's go to uh, Psalm 34. Here's where we'll close. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. My hope and prayer over these next uh, three or four weeks that we would would do that, that we would magnify who he is, his character, his nature, and that we would also experience him in those ways. That will change us. So can I pray for us? Father, uh, thank you for revealing yourself to us through history, through the scriptures, through the patriarchs, through Moses, through David, through the disciples, the apostles, but mostly through Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. And Lord, it's so easy for us to have head knowledge about who you are and often what we think you are and who we think you are is wrong. We admit that. Lord, help us to exalt your name, to learn who you are and to experience you in your fullness so that we would be changed and transformed as your sons and daughters. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.
0: Well, that wraps it up from us here at Pathway. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on our socials. Um, Our website is pathwaylife.com, Instagram forward slash Church, and of course, facebook.com forward slash pathwaylife. We hope to see you guys in the near future. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later.